Good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff Kumbolo, online community. Glad you guys are with us. This, he is the one that we have been waiting for. Man, this began Christmas for me this morning. It was at 821. It was during rehearsal this morning, and they sang that song, and something in me uncorked, and I went, right, that's Christmas. That's Advent. That's the meaning. He is the one the whole world has been waiting for. Isn't that it? And that's what this is about. That's what this story is about. I mean, I'm just so, like, I, I realize how when it gets that for me, when I go, that's it. Jesus came to the earth to rescue humanity. That God in, I mean, God in the flesh came and came to live on earth. Come on. That is crazy talk. And it so gets real so fast. I mean, I'm a Christmas romantic for sure. We got the lights and the tree and the Christmas jazzy music and the stupid elf on the shelf and all the stuff. Like we go all in and I'm all warm and fuzzy about Christmas, but then all of a sudden it gets super real because we go, wait a minute. This is the whole message that the one that we've been longing for has come. And that's the story of this this Magi's journey that we've been looking at is it got super real for them because they were on a journey out of their spiritual hunger to figure out whether or not Jesus would be the true one king. Like that's what they did. And that's the same journey that we're on this morning. I want to look at Matthew chapter uh, two again and look at the Magi's story and um, uh, and I'd love to have you open at, in front of you because I won't have all the scriptures on the, on the screen. But as we teach through the passage, I want you to see the scriptures in front of you. I just have the first couple verses there. So Matthew chapter 2. Did I say that? Chapter 2? Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and following. You got it? I love the silence in the room. Online community, you guys got it? Yeah. All right. So here we are, Matthew chapter 2. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, parenthetically, now stop for a sec. Like, this is the journey. This is the summary of their journey. They were spiritually hungry people who lived a long ways away in the east. Babylon, Arabia, somewhere, nobody knows. Probably Persia. We, we think that they were probably Persian, like... Um, uh, nobles there who were also astrologers, and Ben talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but they probably, through the exiled Jewish people, probably had some knowledge, and then they had it in their own community, that there would be one who would come and be born the true king, and they got in touch with that spiritual hunger. That's part of our journey. What do we do with our spiritual hunger? And then God gave them markers in their lives, signs, in this case, a miraculous star, and maybe prophets in their area, Jewish prophets living among them, who knows? But they were like, we have got to go figure this out. And they followed these markers, these signs, these directions toward Jesus. That's part of their journey as well. And then what happens is we get to the point in the story where now they're going to end up coming face to face with Jesus. And what are they going to do with that? 
And so uh, verse three, here we go. Let's continue the story. When King Herod heard that this, when he, like they came, right, go back to verse two, right? Let's not miss it. This is where it gets super real. They're like, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Then when King Herod heard that, he's like, wait, you have come to worship another king? That is no bueno in our community here, in, our, in my kingdom. And he was all disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. They're like, what is happening? These people from the east. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, but this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod again in his heart of hearts was like, no bueno. And then verse Seven, then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem. He's lying to them, right? And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I may go and worship him. But no, he wasn't. That's not what he wanted to do, right? He was gonna go kill this rival king. Verse nine, after they heard the king, they went on their way. After they heard the king, like king said, hey, tell me where this baby is, this true king, they were like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And they heard the king and said they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, what was happening in this text, you guys, is that they were, yeah, they were spiritually hungry. So they were like, all right, let's go seek this. And so God gave them signs to point them toward Jesus. And now they are going to be in, faced with this reality. They're going to come to Jesus and they're going to decide whether or not he was going to be their king or whether Herod was going to be the one who dominated their lives. This, you guys, is a story about which king will be our king. This is a story about which king will be our king. Now you see that metaphorically, right? You see that figuratively, right? This is a story about which king will be our king. This is a story about what we're gonna live for. This is a story about who we will get, what we will give our lives to. This is a story about, about who and what will have our allegiance, what we will look to for protection and life, and what we will honor. This is about our worship. This is about who am I and will Jesus be the one king, our king, because we're going to be living for something and somebody. You know that, right? The reason I know that is because Bob Dylan made that clear. <laughs> You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something, and it's either going to be yourself, your way of finding life. It's going to be a political system. It's going to be a lover. It's going to be sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's going to be something that you will try to be finding your life and your purpose and your meaning in. You're gonna serve somebody. And this is all a story about whether or not we will serve the king. It's a story about which king will be our king. And this is clear in the scriptures. The first commandment, anybody know the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Like, this is an undivided thing. Which king will be our king? 
Will it be the things that we're trying to find life in? Will it be people and places and things? What, what will it be? Or will Jesus be our true king? This is what the Magi in their journey were faced with. Are we going to live for the way everybody else is doing it? Are we going to succumb to what Herod is saying? Or are we going to make Jesus our king? So the first commandment, I mean, yeah, uh, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? And you shall make no graven images, idols. You'll make no idol and bow down to them. This is so in the scriptures, like God's like, why would you make an idol of something that I made? Like, why would you take those things and put them in place of me as the one true God? And so this is going to be our story. Because this is why it gets real so fast. Like, I want to be all about the elf. And yet, there's this message of, which king is going to be my king? And am I going to align myself under the lordship of the one true king of kings, Jesus? And he's the one that we've been waiting for. So we need to ask ourselves then, if Jesus is the one true king, what distracts us from him being our king? What distracts Jesus from being our one king? Because if that's what this season is about, we always, it's such a, a stereotype, right? That we talk about what, how distracted we are at Christmas with all the stuff and all the materialism and all the gifts and all the, you know what? We just notice it then. Like we're that way all the time, Right? But what we're really trying to get at here is, oh man, if we're going to proclaim that Jesus has come, then uh, at Christmas time, then it really provokes the question, okay, so then is he this, you know, which king will be my king and will it be Jesus? So we're going to ask ourselves the question, what distracts us from Jesus being our one and only true king? And there's just a couple things that, I mean, I would like to preach all day about this, but I'm going to just tell you a couple things I see in this text. And the first thing I see is at the beginning of that text in verses 1 and 2. It, the difficulty of seeking Jesus, the, just the raw difficulty of being a seeker, distracts us from Jesus being our king. It is difficult, you guys, to seek Christ. We know that. We saw the Magi's journey as an illustration of this, that when Jesus was born, they were living in the east, and they decided to come hundreds, maybe a thousand miles, depending on whether they were, where they were from. But they decided to come and see who this king of kings was, the one born king of the Jews. They, they, they made this long, arduous journey where they didn't know what they were going to find. It was it had to be fraught with crazy peril. Now think about it, traveling across all of that distance, it's desert land too, um, 2,000 years ago. And what did they face? I mean, they had to have brought servants and animals to, to slaughter for food. And they had to have uh, uh, warriors with them in order to um, protect themselves against uh, marauders in the desert. And they had to have they had to bring all of their wives, maybe, and, especially, and even the ones they didn't like. And they had, they had all kinds of issues going on as they were going to come and seek the king. The bottom line in that whole story, when I picture all of that craziness going on, they didn't know what God was up to. They arrived, and they're like, we're looking for the one-born king of the Jews. And they're like, oh, the king of the Jews? That's Herod. Here he is. Go to Jerusalem and talk to Herod. And they're like, yo, we're looking for the one-born king of the Jews. And he's like, hmm. Yeah, that's actually not me. I wasn't born king. I was appointed king by Caesar. I'm not even a Jew. Remember, he even in that, he's not a Jew. He's an Edomite. He had to ask. He was appointed to, overrule, to rule over the, 
the, the Israelites, and he had to ask the, them, like, what's your scripture say? Like, he was not, that wasn't his thing. He wasn't that. And they're like, we're here to, to honor the true king. And he's like, yeah, that's not me. And they're like, yeah, that is not you. And so now they're like, now what? Like, we've been led on this crazy journey, and we've met a king, but it's not the right king. Listen, does that not sound like our walking with God? Like, it's so hard sometimes to seek him. And here's the point is that at some point in our journey, we just go, you know what? I'm out. Like, I'm going to take the easier way. I mean, if I was a Magi in 6 BC or 4 BC or whenever this was, I would have gotten 100 miles away into the desert and the first scorpion that crawled into my sleeping bag, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going back. Much less all the obstacles they had to face. But remember, they were spiritually hungry. And God had put markers in there for them to keep leading them toward Jesus, and they weren't going to bail out. And so the difficult, what, one of the things, this might be the thing that distracts you from Jesus being your one king, is that walking with him and finding him and seeking him is difficult and a long journey. And so maybe for you, that challenge of, no, God is going to honor your hunger. God will keep giving you markers. And Jesus is the one right king. And so the temptation to bail when we want to do the easier thing, we want to say, what do I do? What do I do with that thing when it gets hard? That maybe one of the things that we do in this is we recognize, no, the difficulty of seeking him will always be worth it for he is the one I've been waiting for and to stay in the game. But if you find it hard to seek Christ and to walk with God, you're not alone. That is, it is a rough journey sometimes. The faith journey has to be, by definition. What else keeps us from seeking the one king? You might, it might be for you that just the difficulty of the journey. Secondly, I see in here that one thing that might distract you from Jesus being your true king is the temptation to please people. In verse three of this text, this is that, that verse where King Herod heard that he, when he heard that they had come to worship and honor this king, True king, King Herod heard it. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Everybody was like, oh, this is not gonna go well. And so there was, he got upset. And when he got upset, that's what got people upset. And they didn't know if there was gonna be unrest. And there was this dynamic going on that I, for lack of a better phrase, man, I thought about, it's about, it's difficult because sometimes we're gonna, we're going to want to please people or we're going to be afraid of people. That's the other way to look at it, right? A version of people pleasing is I just want them to like me, but the other version of people pleasing is I'm afraid of what somebody's going to think. And these guys face that crossroads. The magi in their spiritual hunger, following God's markers, they face this reality. They came to Herod and they realized it was not going to go well, not with him, not with the people in Jerusalem. And so their fear probably of him they had to face it and decide, okay, well, what are we going to do? It's not unlike Jesus had followers who did this. Jesus in John chapter 12 talks about how even there was, John talks about how at the same time, even among the believers, this is John 12, uh, 42 um, in your New Testament. At the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus. Listen, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They were going to get 
ostracized from the system. They were going to be now, instead of being part of the elite, they were going to be part of some yahoos who believed in this itinerant preacher. They were going to be seen as unintelligent. They were going to be seen as unsophisticated. They were going to be seen as what? What was their fear? They had all of these fears. In verse 43, in John says, for they loved praise from humans more than praise from God. You guys, one of the things that might distract you from Jesus being your one True king is the temptation to fear or to please people because you don't know if you got sold out for Jesus, what, it would, what people around you would think and what it might cost you. That is legit and real for us. And for some of us, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know that I'd lose my job or I don't know, but it's about, man, what would my neighbors think? And for some of us, it's even like, what would my kids think? For some of us, it's like, what would my spouse think? For some of us, it's like, what would the the guys that I'm trying to date think like it becomes a thing where we're like, I don't know if I go public with this idea that I am a Jesus person, how it's going to go in the systems, in the circles, and in the relationships in my life. And that is for real. I'm a pastor. I get paid to love Jesus. And I'm sitting here at 821 this morning during rehearsal thinking that he is the one that my heart longs for. And tears started coming. And I was embarrassed. And I started grabbing Kleenex. And I started to try to fake that I wasn't crying. Like, I didn't want people around me to even think like, this is what, because they're going to go, what is the matter with you? That is legit for us. Man, if that is part of your difficulty, your distraction from Jesus being your king, how does it come to play for you? Is it, is it just about copying to that and being blatantly just like realizing I'm wanting the world's praise. I want it to go well with the world's systems. I want everybody to think I'm amazing. I don't want anybody to think I'm stupid. I don't want anybody to think that I'm emotional. Like what is it for you, friends? People can become our de facto rulers and we live to please them or placate them or look good or avoid trouble in the world as opposed to just saying, God, I'm sold out for you. You're the one that I've been waiting for. And here's all of me. If you're feeling that fear sometimes of people, you can face it and release yourself into the arms of your true loving Savior Jesus, who is the true King. So maybe, but that maybe that's part of the journey you gotta walk in your distraction to go, I can't be distracted by pleasing people or by my fear of them. Third, maybe this distracts you from Jesus being your true king. I see this in the text that obstacles and lies and attacks come from the enemy in this story. This is always going to happen. It came in the Magi's journey. It's going to come in our journey. Verse 7 and 8 of this text, that's when Herod called the Magi together and he lied to them. The enemy of the things of God will always work against you to lie and to attack and to keep you from worshiping the true king. This is a reality in our lives. And so the, the, he, he brought the Magi and he's like, yo, I want to worship the true king too. Go find him and tell me where he is, right? It was a full lie for destruction. And they were amazing in hearing all this. He's like, I'm going to go worship him too, right? Verse nine, they heard the king and then they went on their way. They followed the star and then they found Jesus. And then later they're like, and then we went home a different direction. They were like, none of that. But the temptation, I mean, but the, the obstacles and the attack that comes from the enemy of 
of the true king is going to be a reality, you guys, and it can be a distraction to us. All enemies of the true king, all enemies of our soul, uh, all of the things that we, you know, whether there are false kings that we've given ourselves to, to find life and happiness, or whether they're from the enemy, the devil himself, they're all distractions because they're false saviors. They're like, hey, look here, look over here. Here's what you should do. Here's where you're going to find life. Here's where you're going to find peace and joy and relief and happiness. Like that temptation in us, like is always grabbing at us. And the enemy is designed it as, I mean, I mean, the enemy is perfectly, yeah, I mean, he's perfectly um, strategic is what I was looking for, to come after us and go, look over here, this is where you'll find life. Don't look at the king, don't look at Jesus, come over here, take control of this, find joy over here, find relief over here, find pleasure over here, find purpose over here, like this is where it is. Those lies will come and they'll be perfectly designed to who you are and what your core wounds are and what your weaknesses are and what your father wound is and what your mother wound is and you'll forget come to all those places and go find life here but this as we said is a story of which king will be my king and my king will be the true king jesus who is above all the rulers and principalities of this world now listen when you hear all that you're like is he really talking about the devil yes all of the enemies of our faith come ultimately from the father of lies, Satan and all of his spiritual dominions. And it is a spiritual reality. And I know that sounds pre-modern. I know that sounds like ancient pre-science way of thinking about life. Listen, friends, there's no other way to articulate there's no other way to explain the evil in the world. There's no other way to explain the strategic attacks on your heart and your soul and your faith without believing that there's an enemy of our souls who wants to take us out of the game. I don't understand what you're going to do with all that you see in the world if you decide that that's some sort of an outdated concept. So much so that we're actually going to teach about it in come January. We're going to do a new, um, we're going to do a, a series, actually a new series of series. It's, we're going to brand this thing called Theological Foundations. And the first one's going to be the enemies of our soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And that starts in January. And we're going to talk about the fact that there's an enemy who comes after us to lie and to attack us and to undermine us making Jesus the one true king. But between now and then, listen, if that's your distraction, if you're constantly being lied to that life is found somewhere else, then you resist those lies by being in the word of God and speaking that truth to your heart and to your soul. I mean, the scriptures say about the enemy, the devil, says, listen, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what resisting looks like may sometimes be gnarly. But we have the victory because we have one true king, and that's Jesus, who is all-powerful, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And so, uh, but we resist the enemy. So if your distraction is believing the lies that there's some other way to live, there's some other king to follow, there's something else that will give you life, we speak against that by the word of God and the authority of Jesus. Now the, the last obstacle about this is really kind of the whole point of the whole thing for me. What distracts us from Jesus being the, our true king? And that is making a clear choice. 
that he will be my king. And, and, and probably better said, I put it, should have phrased it this way, not making a clear choice that he will be my king distracts Jesus from being my king. Not having made a clear choice. You see, the Magi in their story, as I recounted the story again, when they heard Herod say this, they were like, nope. They were at a crossroads where they could have went, this is too hard, let's do a risk assessment, let's do an ROI, let's figure out what we should be doing at this point. This is going to go badly with King Herod. He's going to be, we're going to be in danger. And they probably at that point should have just slinked away back to the east. And instead, they just went home a different way, went ahead and found Jesus anyway. And so they made a clear choice. And so in this journey of making Jesus our one true king, we have to ask the question, have I made a clear choice? Have I settled the issue? Because this is really the deal. Do I want him to be my king? Let me say that again. This is the deal. Do I want him to be my king? People do what they want. I do, ultimately, what I want. Do I want him to be my king? Do I want him to be my true Lord of my life? Do I want his authority over me? Will I submit my life as a servant, undivided heart to him? Not having made a clear choice that that's what I want is a distraction to Jesus being my king. And so among all the other things that might be takeaways from this whole text, the question that I ha- one of the questions I have for you is, have you made that choice. The story is about which king will be my king. And will I choose to do that? Because you can say, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't want him to be my king. Lots of people said that in the parable of the talents that we looked at before. Jesus, or parable of the minas, Jesus talked about, uh, he, he explained the story and he's like, you know, um, uh, a guy went away to make himself king and they sent a, a a uh, group of people after him. They sent a contingent after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. This is how Jesus painted the story of him going away to the Father and setting us up here to live on earth. We don't want to be him to be our king. And the prophets and the psalmists, they write over and over and over again. God speaking through them. Why? Would you forsake the living God and give yourself to worthless idols? That's the word that you use. Worthless, not worth anything. It's because we've made the choice. I don't want him to be my king. I want this. I want to live for this. I want to take care of myself this way. And so you guys, in Advent, on Advent 3, as part of the, the Magi's journey, this story is about which king will be our king. And so, among all the other takeaways, have you made that choice? Joshua 24 is a really kind of famous little phrase in the Old Testament. Band, why don't you guys come out because I'm done here. I want you to lead us in worship. 
But it's the, the verse that says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is Joshua. He's leading the Israelite people and they're facing a crossroads and he's basically again saying, what do you want? Do you want Yahweh to be your king or not? Let's make that clear choice. You've been spiritually hungry. God's given you markers and led you toward him being the king. But what are you going to do about it now? Will you really make him your king? And, he's, and, and the context of this verse is so great. He's like, look at, throw away all those gods you had when you served him on the other side of the river. Back when you were not a Yahweh follower, when you were in the desert. We've come over here. We're in the promised land. Are you going to lay them down or will you still serve and honor those false gods? And he's like, make a choice. It's for me and my house. I'm going to serve the Lord. And they're like, the Israelites are like, that's what we want. We're going to lay down those gods. We don't want to serve those gods. We want to, and Joshua tells them, you go back and read this tonight, you guys. It's an incredible passage. Joshua's like, no, you're not going to do that. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to be like, we're going to lay down those gods. We don't want to live for anything else. There's no hope in those gods. Those are, those are gods of, of wood and stone. And that's like, that's ridiculous. Like, we want the one true God. We're going to, he's our true king. And Joshua's like, yeah, no, he's really not. And they're like, no, no. It's like, it's a fascinating story. And so finally at the end then, he's like, okay, then lay him down and make him your king. Christmas got super heavy all of a sudden. So with all the lights and the elves and Santa and the gifts and all the stereotypical distractions, church, will he be one king because he's the one that we've been waiting for so as a spiritual practice this week get some time alone every day with Jesus alone and quiet and reevaluate what have I made my king and reconsecrate Jesus you're the one that I've been waiting for You're my king. You're the true king. And I reconsecrate my life to you. Reevaluate what has been my, what are my kings? What am I putting my hope in? And reconsecrate. Jesus, my life is yours. Ah, the freedom of finding the right relationship with God. Ah, let's celebrate that even as we stand this morning and worship in response. Let's stand together. <laughs>